This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to getbrewninja.com and using the code BREWNINJA21. The yeast is uh, metabolizing the tires inside the cells, so they might be already released during the seven days of fermentation, but at some point... Um, Yeast needs to be under a kind of stress, like the maturation, at uh, putting it 4 degrees, to excrete those tiles in the medium. This week on the show, more thiol research from the Brewing Summit. Hi, so my name is Cécile Chenot. Uh, I'm a postdoc at the UC Louvain uh, Brewery Unit Lab of Professor Sonia Collin. And I've been studying the thiol release uh, during fermentation during my PhD thesis. We've already done at least a half dozen episodes about thiols, but today we're going to focus on some of the fermentation variables that can be manipulated to maximize thiol release. I don't think we need to start at the beginning since most listeners are already familiar with polyfunctional thiols, but maybe as a quick refresher, without getting too far into the weeds, explain the possible paths for a bound thiol to become a free thiol. Okay, so the the, the first uh, precursors that will be formed in the in the hops or in the malt is going to be a glutathionylated precursors. So it's linked to a glutathion, a tripeptide. And this uh, type of precursors will be further metabolized uh, down to either two types of dipeptide. So it could be a cysteinyl glycine precursors or a glutamyl cysteine precursors uh, with enzymatic uh, action like carboxypeptidase or gamma glutamyl transferase. And at the end, you can get uh, a shorter precursor, which is a cysteine uh, precursor. So only the cysteine uh, remains on the of the original tripeptide, and it's linked to the to the thiol. And only at this point, the betalias activity can release the the free thiols from the cysteine-related precursors. 
Cecile, it makes sense that different hop varieties would have different thiol precursors in different amounts. Talk about what you've observed there. Okay, so um, obviously we were expecting uh, different polyfunctional tires profile uh, regarding the variety, but um, it appears to be really variety dependent. So on the we've realized while quantifying the the, the tires of uh, varying uh, dual hops that some type of precursor, some sorry some type of free tires like the three sulfonyl hexanol with a grapefruit uh, or patient fruit aroma is like ubiquitous you can find it the precursors from is in the free forms are found in any type of, of hops uh, while other types of tires are more peculiar to some varieties uh, we are uh, sub- suspecting that these are uh, because of the whole uh, precursors um, formation uh, at the origin of those free tiles uh, it it requires uh, an alpha beta uh, uh, unsaturated carbonyl uh, different ones uh, according to the structure of the tiles you expect and those provide from different type of stress uh, oxidation uh, abiotic or biotic stress whatever um, the the alpha beta unsaturated carbonyl leading to the three sulfonyl hexanol is like the most common one that will be formed when plants will go under stress. What can you tell us about the range of thiol precursors found in hops? The amount of thiol precursors and the free uh, thiols in hops is is pretty variable according to the variety, uh, but. Um, the major uh, tiles that will be found uh, under any type of, of form, so the free cysteinylated or glutathionylated, is the three sulfonyl hexanol uh, because um, it uh, it's originates from a, a very common alpha beta uh, unsaturated carbonyl. So this one is always the major uh, tile under uh, any form that will be found. And, and that's what's also referred to a lot as um, 3MH, right? Exactly. Uh, it's uh, it's actually because of the wide variety of tiles that had been found in hops, we decided to use another way of uh, of writing it because uh, in, in wine, they used to study those tiles for, for a long time and they had only studied the 3MH and the 4MMP. That's what they call them. But since we had so many different ones... That up to 41 had been identified in hubs. We needed to use a different um, code names. So 3-sulfanyl hexanol is definitely 3-MH uh, or 3-MH all. Okay, cool. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Keep going. No, it's okay. Um, but yeah, um, so the, the, the major uh, polyfunction, polyfunctional tires precursor that will be found in, in any type of hubs will be the one of the 3-MH or 3-sulfanyl hexanol. Um, but others, like we we actually did the whole story uh, back background. So we first identified a lot of different free polyfunctional tires, and then we we suspected the occurrence of of bond forms. And since we had so many different polyfunctional tires, the free forms, we were expecting actually this diversity in the the bond forms. So, but the the work of identifying the, those bond forms is uh, pretty time-consuming. It requires some uh, chemical synthesis and so on. So we've managed to identify a few uh, precursors of some of these tiles. 
So uh, the, the major form of, of tires is definitely the glutationylated form. Uh, it's what uh, was observed in hubs uh, anyway. Uh, and there is like one, sometimes 100 times or at, uh, at least 10 times more glutationylated precursors than the cysteinylated precursors. So therefore, there is a, a real interest in, uh, um, uh, sorry, in understanding every step of the release from this glutationylated form and not only the final release from cysteinylated uh, precursors, which requires only the betalias activity. We, we need other steps before to get there. And that's why it's very important to, to consider and have in mind that the glutationylated form is the major one and is the one that we should uh, focus on to improve our aromatic release. Cecile, walk us through the spiked precursor experiment that you presented during the brewing summit. Uh, yeah, we chose um, this methodology. Um, uh, so we used a hopped wort. So it may contain a little bit of precursors, but way uh, a, a way lower amount that we if we had hopped it, because um, in in mild there is a little bit of, of precursors, but way less than in hops. And we spiked, we used like synthesized uh, precursors, either cysteinylated or the glutathionylated uh, precursors of three different types of tiles uh, with uh, three uh, different uh, aromas uh, and characterization. And uh, we let it ferment it, uh, this unhopped wort spiked with uh, precursors uh, with various yeast. Saccharomyces cerevisiae and Saccharomyces pastorianus. Uh, and we change a lot of different parameters, fermentation parameters, like um, the maturation time, the temperature. And once we get our fermented product, we extract uh, the free tiles that have been released from the glutathion uh, or the sustainability that had been spiked uh, with a... Um, a silver ion cartridge, it's a whole process uh, of liquid-liquid extraction, uh, ending up with a concentrated extract that we can inject in uh, GCPFPD. And then we have the, the amount of free tiles, and we can compare this amount with the amount of spiked precursors. Let's hear about how the theory stacked up to what you actually observed in regards to that file-releasing activity of yeast. So the precursors that had been spiked were the precursors of tiles that has an alcohol function. So the 3-sulfanyl uh, hexanol, 3-sulfanyl pentanol, or 3-sulfanyl formethyl pentanol. Uh, three of them had an alcohol function. And so we were expecting to, to observe the release tiles, the, the corresponding release tiles. But we, what we had forgotten is that yeast is also able to esterify the alcohol. So, of course, it was also able to esterify the alcohol from the, poly, the polyfunctional tiles. So, at the end, we ended up with uh, tiles with the alcohol function, but also the corresponding uh, tiles with the acetate function. And those are really interesting because sometimes, like for the 3 sulfanyl hexanol and its corresponding acetate, the 3-sulfanyl-exyl acetate, so mostly known as 3-MH or 3-MHA, um, 
his acetate is has an even lower threshold and usually is described as like sm- smoother uh, aroma, more patient fruit uh, and more appreciated aroma. So it could be interesting to have this type of tire instead of the alcohol one. Okay, so next you wanted to study how fermentation variables like temperature impact thiol release. Tell us about how you set up those trials. Okay, so we decided to to look at, at what are the parameters that might affect the most the yeast and so the the yeast activity to release thiols. Um, actually, the maturation uh, parameters was kind of a surprise uh, because at the beginning we were putting our fermentation in the cold chamber for one day just before analysis just because it was easier, it would let the, the yeast go down and we could uh, get the fermented product uh, easily. And uh, we realized that uh, if, we hadn't done, have, if we hadn't done that step, like if we were trying to analyze our fermented product just after fermentation without any maturation, we couldn't observe any of the release styles. So it's like the maturation is a, is a necessity to observe the, the tires. And our, our suspicion over here is that um, the yeast is uh, metabolizing the tiles inside the cells. So they might be already released during the seven days of fermentation. But at some point, um, yeast needs to be under a kind of stress, like the maturation, at uh, putting it four degrees to excrete those tiles in the medium. While during our screening of yeast, um, one of the yeast stood out, like the K97 yeast, definitely uh, stood out from the others. So we chose that one to to try a bunch of different parameters. Uh, so the one, uh, so the maturation time, but also the wort density seems to affect greatly the release. Um, First, on a, on a release point of view, uh, from the, the betalias activity, so from cysteine adducts, it seems like uh, the lower the water density is, the higher the release is. But then, uh, on the other side, um, the esterification of those released tiles uh, will be lower uh, if the water density is lower. It's what we already knew is like a, a higher water density is... Um, increasing the esterification activity of the yeast. Okay, give us some numbers. Let's hear about sort of the um, times and temperatures and work densities that you used in this experiment. Fermentation of seven days were chosen uh, just to make sure that every yeast was com- uh, had done uh, and complete the fermentation at that point uh, because four days was a little bit too short. Some of the yeast we tried uh, did not finish after four days, so we set with seven days, and then um, we tried different days of maturation, zero to five. Uh, but for the comparison of yeast, we decided to stick with three days of maturation, as it seems as a good compromise to get uh, the, excre- the excretion of tiles and to be able to observe all the the released uh, tiles in the medium. And then the word density, we did some var- variation between t- uh, 12, 15, and 17 uh, uh, plateau degrees uh, to see the impact uh, on the yeast and the release activity of the yeast uh, with this parameter.
coming up. Now the free amino acid amount in your world that will uh, probably greatly impact the, the tile release. It's something that has been known for a while in the, in the wine industry. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. Sponsored by BSG, distributors of TNS Hop Oils, a revolutionary hop product that gives your beer all the hop intensity with none of the astringency. Make better beer and get more from each turn with less work. Change your brewing game with TNS Hop Oils. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn how. Would you like to reduce product losses, save time, and improve your dry hopping process? Alpha Laval's latest innovative technology, the Alhop, is a self-contained PLC-controlled system which allows beer from your fermenter to flow through a hop slurry in a closed-loop cross-flow process. This significantly speeds up the rate that hop aromas and flavors are imparted into your beer. Because hop pellets stay in the alhop and never enter your tanks, losses are minimized and downstream separation or filtration goes more smoothly. Visit us at alphalaval.us slash mbaa to learn more about taking your dry hopping time from days to hours with alhop. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. The Master Brewers DEI Committee has a webinar on psychological safety December 13th. The 2023 District Ontario Conference at the Pillar and Post Inn begins January 25th. The 2023 Master Brewers Conference will be October 6th through the 8th in Seattle, Washington. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Thanks for listening to the Master Brewers podcast. Did you know that Master Brewers offers a wide range of technical resources for breweries of all sizes? Whether you're new to brewing or a seasoned expert, join our community to connect with key players in the profession and stay up to date on the latest in brewing science, technology, and operations. Become a member of Master Brewers with code BEER2022 to save 20% on your membership dues now through December 31st. United We Brew. Now back to the show.
give us an overview of how things shook out across that range of other yeast strains that you trialed against K97. Okay. So five different uh, Saccharomyces yeast, uh, a safe ale yeast, uh, dry yeast actually, were compared uh, using the exact same methodology. So always the, the hand-hopped wort uh, spiked with precursors. We applied seven days of, of uh, fermentation at 24 degrees, which is uh, quite um, common for uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae. And uh, we used a 15 degree Pepto uh, wort. In uh, the comparison appeared that um, every yeast has its own way of releasing dials. Uh, at some point, uh, like K97 appeared as the best, uh, regardless the dial structure or the type of precursors, like from glutathione adduct or from cysteine adduct, K97 is always, uh, was always better at releasing dials. And even regarding the structure, so from starting from a, a precursor of 3-sulfanyl pentanol uh, or a precursor of 3-sulfanyl hexanol, K97 was by far the best. But then if we look uh, deeper at the results, uh, we can see that the esterification part is uh, is sometimes in favor of other uh, yeast strains like S33 or the S04. Those two uh, had uh, the ability of uh, of esterifying uh, a lot of the released 3-sulfanyl uh, hexanol. And since the corresponding acetate, the 3-sulfanyl acetate, so the 3-MHA, has a, a lower uh, threshold, it, it could mean that at the end, even though S33 released less uh, tiles, it could have a greater impact compared to K97. Did that, uh, that, that three plus days of maturation at 4C that you're recommending as, as being important, uh, does that hold true across all these yeast strains? About these um, safe ale yeast, yes, but these parameters uh, might not be so true for uh, for pastorianus yeast, um, for liger yeast, uh, because we've noticed, uh, so it's in the poster, that um, since those pastor, pastorianus yeast are able to work at lower temperature, maybe this, this lower temperature, like 14 degrees, could already be enough to observe both the release, uh, I mean, both the metabolization and the excretion of the tiles in the medium. Okay, yeah, let's hear more about lager yeast because, uh, like you said, you had a separate poster on that, and so you, you did trial um, some different lager strains yeah. as well. So, um, yeah, talk about that. Okay, so lager yeast were then tested. First, we tested it uh, with the exact same methodology as the the ale yeast. So we kept the fermentation at 24 degrees, even though it was not uh, really common for lager yeast, just to make sure the comparison were uh, based on the same uh, parameters. Um, and then uh, we got really surprising results over there because lager yeasts uh, were... Uh, better at releasing tiles from glutathione adduct uh, than from cysteine adducts, which is quite surprising since uh, it seems like the, from the glutathione adduct, it has more steps 
to go uh, to to go down and and metabolize the whole thing go to uh, down to the free tile. Uh, so it's um, very surprising those results, uh, but it seems uh, to be confirmed over uh, like we tried seven lager yeast and. Most of them had the uh, interesting uh, releasing activity uh, starting from glutathione adducts. And were those seven lager yeast strains, were they also dried strains or no? Uh, so three of them were dried and, and four, four others were liquid. Okay. Um, well, um, let's hear more about those seven strains and how they performed and sort of just in general, what's different about the optimization of uh, fermentation parameters for lager yeast versus ale. Okay, so obviously um, those uh, results were surprising, but uh, it, we weren't working at the at the right temperature with lager yeast. So uh, we chose the best lager yeast we had uh, we had at twenty four degrees, and we t and we tested it at twelve degrees, uh, and it appears to have even increased the release from cis adducts this time. Um, from cis from cis adducts, the the release was way better. So the beta lias activity was uh, improved, uh, working at twelve degrees. But then from the G adducts, um, the results were not really better, and it um, pro it pro prohibited the the esterification actually. We know that files are extremely volatile, right? So. Mm -hmm. How much of this is that they're actually releasing more at a cold temperature or that they're actually just retaining more of what's been released? So, yeah, definitely it could have uh, an impact, uh, like keeping uh, the fermentation too long at high temperature might have volatilized, uh, but probably more oxidized those tiles because uh, we were working in a closed environment. So I don't believe we had losses through volatilization, but we might have losses through oxidation uh, because those tiles are really sensitive to oxidation. Okay. Um, describe that closed environment more so that, that can make sense to folks. What, what, why, why, how, what was different about it versus a, a normal fermentation? Oh, it's just we use the I don't know how to say <laughs> it's a like a bottle <laughs> that we closed up. Uh, so we added the the yeast and then we we made sure that uh, our headspace was uh, like big enough for the the CO two to to go in there and not the not having the bottle explode obviously, uh, but it was enough and we just closed it the whole uh, the whole fermentation and maturation steps which we just opened it for analysis all right anything else you want to say about sort of um the approach that one should take to optimize uh fermentation parameters for lager yeast uh, that anything else that might be different <laughs> it's a good question um in a way, it's uh, it's kind of a, a paradox because we usually are not expecting a, a huge amount of tiles when we are brewing a, a beer with the lager yeast because lager beers are not really known for patient fruit aromas or so on. Uh, so it depends what kind of product you're aiming for. But no, you you must know that 
those lagers seems to have uh, quite an impact on on the release of thiols during fermentation uh, either at 12 or at 24 degrees they 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 are they seems to be good at it um also uh, there is other parameters that you could play on uh, either to increase or decrease the the activity uh, like the nitrogen um no, the free amino acid amount in your wort that will uh, probably greatly impact the the tile release. The less you have, the, the lower you have uh, of free amino acids, the higher should be the the release of tiles. It's something that has been known for a while in the in the wine industry. Okay, Cecile, what's next, and what are you most excited about in regards to thiol research? Um, I really like to try some mix of, of fermentation, like getting the the best of each type of yeast because uh, the cerevisiae yeast, the 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 ale yeast, seems to be better at uh, have a stronger betalias activity, at least some of them. But then the the lagers are really good at releasing from glutathione adducts. And so there is a, a real potential, like trying to get the best of of this type of these two types of of yeasts, um, and also really trying to understand this uh, this maturation step. What exactly happens there? Is it really a, an excretion of tiles? What we suspect, or is it something else? And also, since it's it is a kind of stress. This maturation can could we try to apply other type of stress that would help the yeast to release more tiles. But at some point, do we really want to to force the yeast to release uh, all these tiles? Because not all the tiles are, are appreciated aromas. That's something that must be kept in mind. And since we have a, a really high diversity of free tiles in hops, um, this diversity is expected uh, for the precursors. And if you release all type of precursors, you might end up with a, a sulfurate bomb at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were there any hop varieties that jumped out at you as having particularly interesting um, aromas uh, in regards to thiols? Are, are there any that you know are um, uh, really stand out as unique? Hop varieties, you said. Yeah, yeah. Um, so from the the hops I've uh, we've studied and from the stu- the hops I've looked in the literature, um, it seems like um, I mean, okay, it depends uh, what you, how you planning to use your hops. If you planning to use it in dry hopping, and so probably the yeast won't have time to to metabolize a lot of the precursors. So you should choose a, a hops that contains already the free forms, a high content of free tiles. And this would be a, a citra hop. Definitely the one with like one of the hops with the richest uh, uh, amount of tiles, free tiles, I mean. Free tiles, yeah. But then if you use your hops in late hopping and then the hops will have plenty of time to be, I mean, the precursors will be, will have plenty of time to be in contact with the yeast during the primary fermentation, which rather looks to what I've done. Uh, then I would choose a hops with a high uh, content of S conjugates instead of the free forms because the free forms would be lost at the end of the boiling anyway. 
So in that case, I would choose either Amarillo, which is quite rich in uh, conjugates, uh, or Polaris, which is a, a German hops. Uh, I mean, the, the one uh, we studied uh, had a really high amount of S conjugates. It was, um, it, it, this one was outstanding. That was Cecile Cheneau here on the Master Brewers podcast. If you like hearing about research like this, you'll probably agree that it's even better live where you can ask presenters questions directly instead of waiting for me to ask them questions. Now's a great time to put the next Master Brewers conference on your calendar. That's October 6th through the 8th, 2023 in Seattle. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Mall, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Can't stop, can't stop.